I would encourage you to uh, try this sometime. You may want to try it right now. I don't know. Uh, but go old school if you do this. Sit down with a, a pencil or a pen and a piece of paper. And, and really, you can do it no matter how old you are. The list will be longer for some than others. Take a moment and reflect on the people in your life who have made a difference. I will hazard a guess that if you sit down and you start to make that list and you start to think about it, you start to reflect on it, you're going to find that the people in your life who made the biggest difference were what I would call everyday people. And if you're old enough, you're right now thinking of Sly and the family stone singing, I am everyday people. Now you know how old I am. Everyday people. See, we live in an age of influencers. We live in an age of celebrities. Those are the famous people who get on the talk shows. Those are the ones who, when you're scrolling through your news feed and they get to the entertainment section, they're the ones who pop up. We live in the age of, of, of big-name athletes. We live in the, in the age of people whose books get promoted or people who, after a successful concert tour, they make a movie of their concert. So if you didn't get to go to the concert, you can go to the movie and still get part of the concert. But the people who truly influence us, the people who make a difference, the people who have left us with a word of encouragement or an example to follow, who have spoken gentle truth into our lives, who've come alongside in a loving way and corrected us and walked through with us as we've made the correction, they're typically not the celebrities. They're typically not the big, the bold, the beautiful, the rich, and the famous. They're typically the parents and the grandparents and the aunts and the uncles and the teachers and the neighbors and the friends who are just everyday people. Everyday people have seen us at our best. Everyday people have seen us at our worst. And they love us anyway. Everyday people truly enjoy seeing us change and grow and succeed. Everyday people are for us because typically they've been where we've been. I am convinced. One of the reasons that in Eternity past in Trinitarian harmony, Father, Son, and Spirit made a decision that when the time came, the Son of God would be born into the family of a poor carpenter and his wife, just everyday people, a common laborer. Our Lord was an everyday person. Yes, he was fully God and he was fully human, but in his humanity, he was an everyday person. In fact, the prophet Isaiah writes very poetically about it when he describes the suffering servant of God in that very familiar Isaiah 53. And he writes, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Jesus was an everyday person. Take your Bibles if you have them uh, in whatever form that you have them and turn to the very first gospel, the gospel of Matthew. And then when you get there, find your way to Matthew chapter 5. 
In the past two weeks in Matthew 5, we were looking at what we called core values of a Christ follower. They're typically called the Beatitudes. And as we looked at those core values, we realized this is, this is the kind of the, the, the general description of one who follows Jesus. But the rest of Matthew 5 through 7 are going to be examples from real life. They're going to be instructions from real life to show us how those core values should be implemented in daily attitudes and daily actions and daily interactions. And Jesus reminded those listening to him in that moment that when you adhere to his core values, that they will make a difference in your sphere of influence, a difference for God. Listen as I read now from chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, as Jesus moves out of that core set of values and now begins to say, this is how you live. He writes, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built upon a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus, as Jesus will often do throughout all of his ministry, he draws from the familiar. He draws from what everybody knew about. And he uses two very familiar elements to make, I think, a very powerful yet simple point. He draws from the elements of salt and light. Salt had religious significance and was a symbol of value in the ancient world. In fact, when you start looking up, if you go to a concordance and you look up salt in your Bible, you would be taken back to, say, Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 and 35, where God is instructing Moses about the elements that are involved in the incense that is going to be burning in the tabernacle before the Lord day and night. And at the very end of that section, it says it is to be salted. So along with all the spices, God wanted salt as part of the incense. Oh, but it's not just there. The book of Leviticus tells the people about bringing grain offerings to the Lord. And they were to bring their grain offerings to the Lord and they were to be salted. Used in worship. Ezekiel 43, salt was used in the presentation of the male goat for the sin offering. Salt had, some, had a value in worship. It was symbolic. It was symbolic of that which enhanced worship. It was symbolic of preservative. It was symbolic of, of a lasting nature. In 2 Chronicles 13.5, there is mention that God had given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever as a covenant of salt. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, those people listening to him in the first century knew that he was speaking of value. You are valuable to Jesus. You are valuable in, in what God wants to do. He was speaking of their value. 
See, salt has historically been used as a preservative and as a flavor enhancer. It was a commodity in the ancient world. Some etymologies trace our word for salary back to the Latin word for salt. And there is evidence that maybe some of the Roman soldiers, that part of their pay was in salt because it was a a valuable commodity. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But then Jesus used another very valuable element. You are the light of the world. Light was vital to the ancient world. We sometimes forget how vital light was because we live in a time of artificial light, beautiful LED lights that lighten the area that that are said to last for 10 years. You know, we'll see. Uh, light that, you know, we, we just we get into our cars, we turn on the light. We can see when we're driving in the dark if our eyes are still young enough to do that. Uh, but we can see light. We know about the sunlight and the beauty of the sunlight, but it's in the nighttime that if we all we have is the moon, we have to have a full moon. Otherwise, we need light. And so take away all of our artificial light, take away everything we have, and you have the ancient world where if they were going to see, they were going to light a lamp or a candle or, a, or the fireplace or sometimes a torch. Light was vital. Light gave protection. Light gave illumination to a room. Light from the fire not only provided warmth, it provided opportunity to cook food. Light is very important. It's very precious. It's very valuable. If I were to take salt and light and bring it down to a bottom line reality, it would simply be this. When used properly, salt and light make a positive difference. And I believe that's the first thing that Jesus is saying here. As a follower of Jesus, I should strive to make a positive difference. As a follower of Jesus, I should strive to make a positive difference. Now, I know that initially some of us struggle with that statement because we say, well, I'm not influential. I'm an everyday person, Pastor Scott. You just got done talking about everyday people. I'm an everyday person. I'm not influential. I can't make a difference. But note another two, some characteristics of these elements. I already mentioned it. Last night I, I cooked up some food for us at home. We had a friend over. And uh, as I was getting ready to put <clears throat> the steaks onto my iron skillet, I put some salt on them and then put a little pepper. Why? Because they enhance, it enhances the flavor. Salt can be a flavor enhancer. You have to use it properly. You don't want to use too much, but it enhances what it touches. Light not only illuminates, but it enhances the area. So no matter how unimportant you think you are, no matter who you are, you can make a difference. Every one of us 
Every one of us has a sphere of influence. That sphere might be small. It might be just your immediate family. It might grow into maybe in your neighborhood. You have people that you interact with. You have people that you communicate with. We all have a sphere of influence, a sphere of where we enter. And most of us that I know, if I'm looking around here and know the people that are here, most of us aren't on a national or international stage. We're just everyday people, but we have a sphere of influence. Your sphere may be your family, your neighborhood, as I've said. It may be the people that are near your office cubicle, you know, the people that you just work with on a regular basis. It it may be that you have some employees that you supervise. They're under your sphere of influence. It may be uh, the the folks you hang out with at school, or maybe you're part of a a hobby group, and there's people that you hang out with in that. That's all part of your sphere of influence. God has placed all of us, each one of us, within a sphere of people that I would call a sphere of influence. So not only as followers of Jesus should we strive, should I strive as a follower of Jesus to make a positive difference, let me expand on that principle. As a follower of Jesus, I should strive to make a positive difference in my God-appointed sphere of influence. I know I'm probably not going to make a big splash even in Wheaton, Illinois, or Winfield, or Carroll Stream, because my sphere of influence isn't really out there. It's, it's, it begins right here. And even more than that, it, it really began with my family, with my wife and my three kids, and then they all got married, and they, they've given us some grandkids, and now we have another sphere of influence. And, and those are my initial spheres of influence. And when you think about it that way, it's not as intimidating. I think it's significant here that in these statements, Jesus is being general. Let's don't read into Jesus' words. Let's let his words be what they are. You see, be careful not to say, well, Jesus is telling us that we need to be more influential in sharing the gospel. He hasn't even started talking about the gospel yet. We need to learn apologetics so we can argue philosophically for the proofs of the resurrection. Jesus isn't saying that. He's simply saying, make a positive difference where you find yourself. How do we do that? How do we be salt and light? How do we make a difference? Let me give you one example. I haven't been there for a while, but, well, it's been since Christmas, but I remember being in Edmund Chapel on the campus of Wheaton College. And when you walk in, you can't help but notice that down at the front are two large paintings. I mean, they're huge. And the ones that I'm thinking about are are paintings that had been painted by a Japanese-American artist named Makoto Fujimura. If you're standing there, there's one on the left, and it's kind of got colors of green and red and all. It's entitled, The Four Holy Gospels. And then over to the right is one that's more of a purple, and it's got some streaks in it, and it's entitled, Images of Grace. It was some time ago that I watched a documentary 
that was about Makoto Fujimura. One statement stood out. It was uh, when he went back to Japan to work on his doctoral work, one of his mentors said this. It was really when he became a Christian that the world of his paintings began to change and increase in depth and profoundness. When he gave his life to Christ, he said, oh, it's more than just making art. My art has a purpose. I can make a difference with my art. See, he sees the medium of art when it's done with excellence as a mean to, it gains him a hearing in the lives of others. He said this, unless I produce work worthy of my peers, I can't build relationships in the artistic community. Who you are in Christ and how you are valued by God are essential in understanding yourself. You are salt, you are valuable, you are light, you are precious. And if you and I believe that and believe that I am salt and that I am light and that I am valuable and I am precious to God and he has a, a position with me, then he goes on. Who you are in Christ and how you are, the, are valued by God are essential to understanding yourself. Out of that flows this point. Your works express who you are. The you must go into the community and into the world. The relationships are all there. In other words, those core values that we looked at the last two weeks that we're going to keep circling back to periodically, we call them the Beatitudes, that's who we're to be in Christ. We're to see ourselves as humble, poor in spirit, that God gives me all that I need. We're to be those who are sad because of what, God, what makes God sad. And then we're those who are humble, meek. We're those who desire what God desires. We hunger and thirst for righteousness. We're merciful. We are merciful people. And we are people who are pure in heart. In other words, we, we let God change our hearts so we can see Him. We're peacemakers in a world of, of strife. And we're people who stand for righteousness even when it hurts. And, and all of that changes. That makes us valuable. That makes us different in the world. That gives us influence. You see, if you say you follow Jesus, then the best you can possibly be at whatever, be the best you can be at whatever God's asked you to do. Let me say it again. If you say you follow Jesus, just be the best that you can be where God's put you. Be the best neighbor. Be the best employee you can be. Be faithful. Be on time. Do your work. Be the best supervisor you can be. Be aware of your people. Know that, you know, yes, the job is important, but people are important, and that's a tough balance to make. Be that. Be the best student. And, and don't hear me say straight A's are the best student. I will tell you what I've, what, talk about influential people, an individual who did not even know he influenced me. He's over at Windsor Park right now, Dr. Dickison. He was a professor at Moody when I was there. He was preaching one day, my senior year. I could care less what he had to say. I'm getting married in a few months. I'm already accepted to seminary. I got it made in the shade. And he stood there and he said, I want you to remember this, students. An A on earth might be a C minus in heaven. Whoa. That blew my mind. And so I'm in seminary, and sometimes I get a B plus. I, didn't get, I did not have a 4.0. 
ever in my life, except for one quarter in eighth grade, and it's a tough story, and I won't tell you now. You know, I studied hard, and I realized, you know what? With a wife, and at the time, two kids, if I can get a B, praise God. Praise God. Because getting an A might mean neglecting my wife, neglecting my kids, holding up in the library and doing all that, studying that, but not being there for what they needed. There's balance. So when I say the best student, just do the best you can do. Parents, may just encourage your kids to do their best. God says, if maybe you're a teacher. Be the best teacher you can be. Be creative. Be, be engaging in the classroom. Whatever God calls you to do, wherever you are at in life, do it with humble excellence. Now, I've skipped over a whole bunch of stuff. I want to kind of go back to the text. A couple of confusing statements. But if the salt loses its saltiness, verse 13, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Let's just stop there for a minute. I have heard all kinds of possibilities about this verse. Some have said, well, in the Dead Sea that they extracted salt from, the salt wasn't pure and it had impurities and it would lose its impact. And yet you could go online and pay a lot of money for Dead Sea salt these days. Some have said, well, they, they, they would bring water, seawater from the Mediterranean, let it dry, but it didn't have the purity that it needed for salt. And yet you can spend a lot of money for Celtic sea salt these days. You know? and so I, I don't know, that just doesn't seem to work for me. Uh, and all of a sudden, and it was over the last few weeks, I've been thinking, last few years actually, and so maybe, maybe Jesus is just expanding the metaphor a little bit. Maybe the, the statement is, is to be more personal than it is to be about salt. You see, Jesus is the active agent in creation, right? So as the active agent in creation, I think Jesus probably knew that sodium chloride was a stable compound. I am no chemist. I don't play one on TV, but I can Google stuff. And, and so maybe that's not the deal Jesus is talking about. You see, salt that isn't salty isn't really salt. It's worthless. Maybe the point is more personal that Jesus is pointing. Maybe the point is you can't fake making a difference. You're either salt or you're not. If you pretend to be salt and then you've lost your influence, you're not salty anymore. Maybe that's what he's saying. And you go on to light. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the room. It's illogical to go into a dark room and you have a candle or an oil lamp in that day, and that's the only source of life you have. It, it a light you have. It is illogical to light that lamp, to let it glow, and then to take a bowl and stick it over it and go. <laughs> kidding. That's illogical. You don't do that. That doesn't make any sense. Salt that is not salty is worthless. Light that is stuck under a, uh, a bowl is not useful. 
it's useless. Maybe, maybe Jesus is saying, don't fake it. You and I can try to fake being followers of Jesus, but it won't work for long. As I understand this passage in its broader context of the Sermon on the Mount, it just makes sense to say that Jesus is warning his followers that they cannot pretend to be Christ followers and still have an impact. Let me put it this way. As a follower of Jesus, I can't fake following Jesus and think I will make a difference for Jesus. We all know people who have pretended to be something or someone they are not. And when we discovered the truth, it made us back away. Their, their influence their, in our lives became worthless. It became empty. The, the, the influence they may have had ended up being illogical because they didn't follow through. About 25 years ago, a man by the name of Donald McCullough, he was the president of San Francisco Theological Seminary, he published a, a small book. It was a book entitled, Say Please, Say Thank You, The Respect We Owe One Another. The emphasis on the book was a need for civility. Boy, could he, I mean, hope that that, that ought to be republished. The premise of the book was that we need to make a difference in the little things of life where we're not always seen, but where we are truly known. And in his introduction, he writes this. If a person can't remember to say thank you to her housekeeper, it probably won't matter much if she writes a philosophical treatise on kindness. If a person is rude to his family, the angels probably won't give a holy rip if he preaches soaring sermons about the nature of love. You can't fake spiritual salt and light. Now remember something. Jesus is not talking exclusively to the bold and the beautiful. Now, I don't think he has left them out. They, they can still be there in the crowd, but they're not the, the focus of his writing. He's not talking to the rich and the famous. He's talking to, well, the named guys in Matthew are Peter, John, or Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Four fishermen, laborers, everyday people. He's talking to people that had gathered around him because they had heard about his healing. They, maybe a neighbor of theirs was healed of leprosy, and they went, i got to go find this guy. i got to find out what he's doing. Matthew says they had gathered around. There were curiosity seekers. Jesus is talking to prostitutes and tax collectors and widows and orphans and farmers, everyday people. You see, when you and I strive to live by those core values outlined in the first part of Matthew 5. The first thing it does is it makes a difference in our own lives, in our own priorities, in our own pursuits. And then it spills out into the sphere of influence wherever you have been placed. Jesus says, when we are salt... When we are light, others will see our good deeds and we become a reflector 
because they see our good deeds and it reflects to God. And Jesus has chosen us to be that. Now, saying to be salt or to be light, it's simple, it's basic, but can I tell you, it's a challenge. See, right now you might be thinking, you know what, you're right, Pastor Scott. Tomorrow I am going to make a difference. Tomorrow I am going to be salt and light wherever I, and you pick the place where you're going to be. I am going to be salt and light. You may be saying that's going to happen. And you're maybe already thinking how that's going to look. And you're maybe thinking about how you're going to, who you're going to talk to or how you're going to be an encouragement. And I think that's great. But I want you to be aware of something. Be very aware that all the plans you're making tomorrow may end up being absolutely horribly awful to the point where you want to just go to Australia and just be gone. I want you to be aware of the fact that every scenario you have in mind right now may fly out the window before you put the breakfast dishes away. I don't say that to discourage you. I say that to remind you that we live in a fallen world and nothing is perfect. And like anything, working to live in a way that makes even a little difference is both a process and a challenge. So go easy on yourself. Give yourself permission to mess it up because we have a God who forgives and says, okay, let's, let's try it again. But I will tell you this, it is worth it. The moment you and I begin to follow Jesus is the moment we begin to make a difference in just one other person's life. Everyday people. As I reflected on the everyday people who sometimes, without even knowing it, set an example for me, I thought of someone that some of you may have heard me mention before. When I was a kid... Growing up in the church, I literally thought that this person was strange. I thought they were kind of different. There were times I rolled my eyes. Uh, we had a couple in our church, Mr. and Mrs. Ashcraft. Mr. Ashcraft owned a business that many people wouldn't own. It was called... Ashcraft's Ashes and Trashes. He was an independent garbage man. And he was part of our church. And Mr. Ashcraft, and I didn't get this till years later, Mr. Ashcraft was a man of salt and light as he collected garbage. Now, I lived in the middle of Kansas, uh, in Kansas, there's a lot of wind. It's going to be significant here in a moment. Uh, but what I know about Mr. Ashcraft is that his trucks were clean. I think he had two trucks. They were always clean. And his standards were high. You see, back in those days, we didn't have plastic garbage bins that you wheel out to the curb, and then the big truck comes and puts them in and goes away. We didn't have that. We had metal cans. Everybody had metal cans. And if you lived in a certain type of neighborhood, the metal cans were out back in the alleyway, and they had a lid on them. If you had to get them out to the curb, then you brought them out, and the lid was still on them. 
Now, many of the waste haulers in the area, you had to know when they were coming. Because if you didn't know when they were coming, they would come through and they would take the lid off of your trash can, they would dump the can, the, the contents into the garbage truck, drop the can, and just keep moving on. And if you didn't know when they were coming and the Kansas wind began to blow, your trash can could go rolling down the street. Your lid could go somewhere else. But that didn't happen if you contracted with Ashcraft, Ashes and Trashes. Because Mr. Ashcraft required that anybody who worked on his truck put the can back in its place and put the lid securely on it. And he was known to have stopped and backed his truck back down an alley to a house and made his worker get off the truck and put that can straight up and put the lid on it. Salt and light as a trash man. Simple excellence. Humble excellence. There was not a scrap of paper laying around after Ashcraft Ashes and Trashes trucks had gone by. Now, we were just beginning to figure out Earth Day back in those days, okay? We, recycling, what's, the, you know, you just, it, 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 you know, just throw it all away. It's all good. Throw it all away. It's out of sight, out of mind. Throw it away. So not too many people were recycling, and sometimes people would throw out really good stuff. And you know what Mr. Ashcraft would do? He would retrieve it. And he would find a place to donate it. Uh, he would make sure it got reused. Salt and light. Humble excellence. A good and godly garbage man. And I wish I would have had the presence of mind as a kid to have seen how valuable that was. But I am thankful that God has not let me forget that many, many years later. I believe when that man walked through the doors of heaven, maybe still wearing his ashes and trashes, Ashcraft's ashes and trashes coverall, Jesus reached out and said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in little things. Enter your reward. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As a follower of Jesus, I should strive to make a positive difference in my God-appointed sphere of influence and you can't fake it father thank you for your word this morning thank you for these simple penetrating words of jesus thank you for the everyday people in each of our lives who by your grace have spoken truth in our lives, who by your grace have been encouragers, who by your grace have been correctors, who have helped shape us. Lord, may we know today, may we believe today that we are valuable to you. You've called us salt 
you've called us light. And may we live out that truth, that value. May we be used of you in humble obedience to show humble excellence to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.